At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. Because that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. From fresh berries to fresh tomatoes, we know the farm is where it all grows. From their farms to your forks, working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash boost. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome one and all to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the all-new and all-growing and all-powerful Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right around this beautiful planet of ours. If you'd like to check us out on our website, www.exoneradio.com, on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And if you'd like to send an email to us right here in the studio, studio at exoneradiotv.com. And don't forget, Exxon Nation, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary on air this year. 25 years, let me see, 3,984 guests. And the list goes on and on and on. And why? Because we have guests like my guest this hour. Rick Osman is our guest. And uh, we're going to be talking about ancient America and much more. First of all, Rick, welcome to the Exxon. Great having you with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in writing about ancient America. And where does your fascination come from? My fascination has always been with history. And, of course, the history that we're taught is just, you know, the, the high points, a mm-hmm. few of the high points. And when you start digging, you find that there are more stories than you could possibly fit in any textbook. I've always found it ironic, Rick, that kids are still being taught in school that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas when we know that is false. We know that he is not the first European or anybody else mm-hmm. to reach America from somewhere else. By water, incidentally. However, the term discovery is a term of legal art. It is not about exploration. It is about land claims. So when we say Columbus discovered America, in that sense, it's true. And that's the sense that 
all government sponsored education wants you to see. They don't want you to see the rest of it. But what about the claims that the Vikings made way before Columbus? How come that's not taken into consideration and it's not it's not taught that the Vikings discovered the Americas? Well, the Norse certainly reached America mm-hmm. and established a colony, possibly more than one, possibly many. Right. And most of them near nearer to you than to me. But um, they, the Norse, were exploration-oriented and trade-oriented. We think of them as Vikings who would go raid things, and in many points that's true. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you also had the folks who saw the value in establishing like secret trade routes right. for very valuable goods. And I think they fit in that category. The other thing about how it affects discovery as a legal term is that they abandon their colonies, we think. So when we look at the entire scenario, the claims by those who want to follow Christopher Columbus as the discoverer and those who know very well that the Vikings were over in North America, they had settlements in Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, uh, you know, and why aren't we being more honest when we talk about history? Well, let's use Canada as the example, because Canada has already had political upheaval, Mm -hmm. wherein the natives, the First Nations folks, said, this is our land, it's still our land. And they finally had to, they being the Canadian government finally had to accept that as being true because it's legally bound to follow its own law. The United States is still catching up on that part. So it's a matter of politics. It's almost strictly politics. And that includes the politics going into academia, in my view. All right, stand by, Rick. You and I have to take a brief break. We'll be back shortly. Exonation Rick Osmond is our special guest. And Rick and I will uh, be back on the other side of this break as we continue talking about ancient history, fact or fiction, here in the Exxon. By the way, if you'd like to check out uh, Rick, www.gravedistractions.com forward slash graves dash of dash the dash golden dash bears PHP. We'll be back on the other side of this break. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. 
Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back, everyone. Rick Desmond is our special guest this hour. We're talking about ancient America and much more this hour here in the Exxon. Uh, Rick, I remember a couple of years ago, or maybe more than a couple of years ago, but certainly in the past here on the show, we have discussed artifacts that were found that were traced to ancient Egypt that were actually found in the Grand Canyon. Do you that remember? Is, yeah, that is a long-standing and yeah. very strong story. What, what is the story? Uh, refresh our memories. There was a gentleman by the name of Kincaid who was actually there, sponsored by the Hearst Newspaper Group, mm-hmm. and I believe the year was 1917. And he reported finding a cave, at least partially artificially mm-hmm. uh, dug or excavated, uh, with sarcophagi, weapons, armor chariots, you name it, he, he said pretty much all of Egypt was represented there. And no further reports by anybody. Unbelievable. Such a significant find just erased from history. Well, ignored by history. Ignored, ignored. by the academic primarily. With our culture, our popular mm-hmm. information culture, is what I call it, um, we access this stuff because we're interested. Right. The academics simply are not interested because it does not fit their paradigm. But that brings a question up. Um, if they've lied to us or, or if they have misdirected us in so many ways, what are they hiding? What are they afraid that we will learn? And how will it in their opinion, change what they do and the history of the planet as we know it. It would change the validity or the acceptance of the validity of the land claims of pretty much every country that colonized in the Americas. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's take, for instance, mm-hmm. in 998, when Leif Erikson arrived in Canada, he was a Christian, and he started a colony. So if that colony had continued in any way, shape, or form, or was even acknowledged as having been there for, say, a couple of generations, then that monarchy would have the land claim of Canada rather than France and England. So, now, okay, go on. <laughs> this, this, is, this is very interesting to me. Keep going. It, let's go back to other legends of incursions from elsewhere. Okay. Uh, going back to the ancient Welsh tale, whether mm-hmm. it's 670 A.D. or, uh, I'm sorry, 570 A.D. or 1170 A.D. is my main question because there was a Prince Matic. And there was a Matic who was a vice admiral or possibly main admiral of the Welsh Navy. And you don't think about the Welsh Navy in those years, but 
in Julius Caesar's time, he arrived at Britain and was met by a 700-ship navy assembled within three or four days. So, yeah, they had a navy. They were Christian. They weren't Roman Catholic Christian. They were Chaldee Christian or uh, Celtic Christian, it's called. Before that, perhaps, the Roman Empire had an incursion, some kind of a secret trade route again. Um, and at least elements within that would have been Christian because they had to have come from Britain in, you know, like the second century. Right. AD. So uh, any Christian incursion and colonization and, you know, longstanding presence mm -hmm. would throw a real wrinkle into all of these land claims. I get into that in a lot more detail in the book, Graves of the Golden Bear, but the... I guess you'd call it the, the short notes version, the version is you have to bury that evidence as long as you can if you want to maintain sovereignty, being the United States government or the Canadian government or the Mexican government. If there were Christians here, then all of those land claims that go back to Christopher Columbus are null and void based on the law that made them uh, accepted. And that was going back to canon law, mm -hmm. a papal bull entitled terra nullius, meaning empty land. And the core meaning was empty of Christians. If there were no Christians, you could claim the land. Well, when the English settlers got into Virginia, several of the early English colonists noted that many of the tribes in that part of North America practiced rituals that closely resembled a lot of Christian ritual. They couldn't do that if they wanted to claim the land that the Indians already held. So not only do you have gov governmental uh, interference, but you also have religious interference. Correct. Uh, and knowingly, in my opinion. I, I am convinced mm -hmm. that the Vatican knew that there had been Christians of probably various groups in North America and possibly South America, Central America, for a thousand, fourteen hundred years before Columbus got here. And actually, Columbus never got to North America per se. No, he was in the in the Central American area. And Caribbean, he was right. primarily in the Caribbean. Yeah. All right, so let, let's just go back a little bit more in time because you claim that the ancient Romans have come, came to America and, and what do you base that on Rick? Well my claim is that it is possible that they did and there may be other evidence there have been a number of coins on the order that I know of around seven, 800 Roman coins from the first century up to well the fall of Rome basically and they've been primarily along the major riverways, mostly the Ohio. Uh, you also have artifacts, stone artifacts. They're lithic spheres, usually about the size of a tennis ball mm -hmm. or a little smaller. And they are pretty much everywhere along all of the waterways, navigable waterways at least. And that is very likely a Roman ballista ball because... The natives never claimed to have anything, with one exception, that could actually throw a ballista ball. And the one exception is just a tale that was told to Henry Schoolcraft uh, in, I don't know, 1833, I believe it was, by an Algonquin chief. But the Algonquin chief claimed that the natives had a means in the great wars of the ancient past of binding a stone sphere to a long pole and bringing it down on the enemy's canoes. So it sounds to me like somebody was trying to control the rivers. But that would require a machine. We'd never credit them with any kind of machinery. But wasn't there also talk about the Middle East actually traversing the Atlantic and getting copper from the Indians of the Great Lakes? Well, someone did. Yeah. And a lot of it has centered around Minoan, Egyptian, um, 
Hebrew uh, uh, Phoenician ships actually doing the traveling, but the Phoenicians probably were a trade network of their own that became things like Carthage and Cadiz, Spain, and all these other places. But they were all interested in copper. Now, the old world copper is not good copper. When you get something on the order of a today mm-hmm. one half percent ore mine, you're in the money. But the Michigan copper, Upper Michigan, uh, Keweenaw Peninsula, Isle Royal, that was 97 on up percent pure copper. And most of the inclusions, the you know, the contamination, if you will, was either gold or silver. <laughs> so you didn't have to smelt it. You could use it like it was. Wow. On the other, on the other hand, yeah. at the other end of the med, you had these ships that had been retrieved, reconstructed from uh, the Turkish coast, the Ulubrum. I, I can never can say that name correctly, but this ship had. 10 tons of copper ingots on board, as well as about a ton of 10 ingots and three ton of glass ingots and uh, a quarter ton, I believe it was, of cobalt glass, Egyptian blue cobalt glass. Well, the cobalt was indeed a side effect, a, a waste product, if you will, of production of copper from some of the minerals they actually had in Egypt. However, and, and glass, silica, sand would have been the flux to draw that off of the copper. So it's very much in keeping that the copper trade was incredibly sophisticated. And it was huge because that much copper in that one ship was more than the annual purchase for any of the kings in the region. Has there ever been any, uh, any artifacts, uh, naval artifacts, found within the Great Lakes or on the shores of the Great Lakes that would be able to collaborate this this hypothesis? Not to my knowledge. No way. There are there are shipwrecks in other places mm-hmm. that would indicate that there was transatlantic travel. But to my knowledge, no, there hasn't been much in the Great Lakes. Of course, you've got Lake Superior with an average depth of what? Four hundred and eighty feet or something like that? It's hard to find shipwrecks from 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Have there been any archaeological finds that would collaborate the, once again, the hypothesis that the Phoenicians or any other Middle Eastern uh, country or group had actually come across the Atlantic up the St. Lawrence, somehow done portages through uh, to, you know, from uh, Lake Ontario to Lake Erie and then up the Great Lakes system. Well, there's another possible route, and and it may have been two different routes. Could have been one route in and a different route out, and that would be to go in through Hudson Bay and go down. I believe it's the Red River, and basically get into Lake Superior from that end. And Isle Royal would be right about there. Yeah, but but what about the the ice the ice flow? That would mean it was, uh, you know the. It, I forget the the length of the summer up towards uh, Hudson Bay and then through James Bay and down. That short. Way. But That's it... the right answer. It's short. Yeah. <laughs> so what they probably did, and, and this is based on the work of Fred Reedholm and a few other folks who studied the copper for decades, the crews, whether they were traders, miners, or both, would come in in one season you know, dash across during the summer, mm-hmm. get in place, winter in place while they're mining. Because, you know, under the ground, it's still, what, 50 degrees or so down there. <coughs> Pardon me. And then then dash off the next time, yeah. you know, after, after they had a, a payload and, and the time, dash back home. Hey, Rick, we've got to take our break. This is so interesting that I, that I nearly lost uh, track of time, and my producer just whispered in my ear, take your break, Rob. So you and I will be back on the other side of this short break as we continue here in the X-Zone with our special guest this hour, Rick Osmond. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money in abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. You know, I've often put this question to you, the members of the Exxon Nation, over the 25 years that you and I have been friends and visiting each other nightly. How different would history be, and how different would the Bible be, and every other religious philosophy for that matter, if the truth was really known? Just ponder that thought. I'm sure that if the events of biblical proportions happen today with our knowledge of science, quantum physics, chemistry, biology, um, physics, astronomy, would they have had the same implications today as they did in yesteryear? I don't think so. However, when it comes to the history of humanity, 
and the finds of archaeological teams around the world, as well as independent researchers and, and writers and thinkers like our guest this hour, Rick Osman. These finds are significant because they tell a story. They tell the truth, not the, not the story that academia would like us to swallow without questioning, but the truth. And in order to understand the present and know where we're going in the future, we have to understand the past. And Rick, thanks so much for being with us tonight to help us put the pieces to this archaeological puzzle together. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Rick, um, you know, we, we've, t- we've talked about here on the X-Zone, the Americans, America Stonehenge with uh, Dennis Stone. We've talked yep. about uh, the... Um, we see the serpent mounds. We've talked about the uh, the rock formations that are found around North America. We've talked about sacred sites with Brad Olson. What is causing the resurgence in the quest for the truth about ancient America and ancient North America? Uh, and it's not just here. It's also a quest pretty much worldwide. And I don't know how to attribute that. Uh, part of it is because of the information age. I'm, I'm confident of that. But also, I think it is because people in general, with a few cultural exceptions, want to know how we got to where we are, and we're tired of being spoon-fed all these supposed facts that are not facts. Uh, you know, you got got folks, the WikiLeaks guys mm-hmm. and Snowden and all these folks who are releasing information uh, on pain of death more or less uh, I, I think it's an amazing thing that people are becoming uh, not necessarily enlightened but at least curious and aware and aware yeah. yes that's the right word um, some Roman coins have been found near Louisville can you tell us about that uh, there have been at least three different caches of coins found in the general vicinity of Louisville. Uh, as far as I know, all but three of those coins have been on the Indiana side of the river. In 1962, I believe it was, perhaps 64, memory's failing me a little bit here, uh, an engineer working on a bridge project for Interstate 64 going across the Ohio River mm-hmm. came across a cache of 52 Roman coins. And um, two of them ended up in a little museum in Clarksville, Indiana, for a number of years. Uh, but eventually the state of Indiana acquired that museum and banished those coins to some unknown location. Uh, another guy east of Lu- upriver of Louisville, several miles, 15, 16 miles, found 19 coins in a separate case. Um, to the best of my knowledge, somewhere in the vicinity of 100 coins of Roman origin and genuine have been found in the area of Louisville, Kentucky. Three in Breathitt County, Kentucky. Uh, wow. Some in Ohio, I believe. Um, Lee Pennington prepared a really good map, but it is now kind of dated because there have been more finds uh, that showed... Coin mm-hmm. finds, Roman coin finds along the riverways and along the coastlines, but not so much west of the Rockies. In fact, none west of the Rockies on Lee's map. Since that time, I have been in contact with someone who found 386 Roman coins in a single cache in Utah. So, wow. bunches. How much would that those 386 coins be worth today? Surprisingly little. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, as you know, as scrap metal, most of them are bronze. Um, a few are silver. Very few are gold, but those are you know fairly valuable. You would um, you would imagine that because of their their age and their significance, they would be worth a small fortune. You would think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as an example, there was a cache of Roman coins found in Britain by a metal detectorist that contained, I believe it was on the order of 52,000 separate coins. It was valued in total at something like a million and a half dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, a million and a half 
pounds, which would be what two point three million dollars, and um, you would you know you would have thought that any one of those would have been a collector's item worth you know untold hundreds of thousands, but no, they're not. Some of them are actually very common, particularly in Britain. I, nobody knows why they buried all their money. They didn't trust the banks. They did not trust the Romans either, I don't think. So, you know, what was their reason for coming to America, the Romans? Any idea? Mm, yes, I, uh, I investigated several lines of reasoning there. But the most pragmatic would be for trade or some resource that they thought in that case, in that particular case, it would have been um, Trajan or Hadrian who engineered this whole thing, those, those two emperors. And it was to get some resource, possibly copper, possibly something entirely different that would more or less save the Roman Empire from implosion because they were kind of in a bad way at that time. But what they did, I believe, and I, I think I showed enough evidence to make it plausible, someone decided that the Ninth Roman Legion was going to disappear from history and did. This would be 55,000 troops and probably, all, I'm sorry, 5,500 troops and all of their camp followers bringing a total something over 10,000 people, hmm. as well as, you know, cavalry units and whatnot. They just simply disappear from history. The Lost Ninth Legion. There have been movies about it. You know, they disappeared into Scotland and were never heard from again. They disappeared here or there and right. got conquered or captured and sold into slavery. Well, yeah, another legion or two did exactly that, but it wasn't the Ninth. The Ninth simply is written away. And 25 years later, one of the officers from that unit shows up as the governor of Arabia Petraeus, what we know as the city of Petra in Jordan. And you've seen it. You've seen it in an Indiana Jones movie. But the oh, yeah, edifice right, yeah. that you see carved into that living stone was primarily carved by the Roman government. Uh, is there any connection, and this is just a, a long shot, is there any connection with what has happened in the past with the ongoing conflict in the Middle East today? Um, well, sure. I mean, <laughs> um, how far back do you want to go? You want to go back to Abraham? Because that's where most of it starts. I mean, no. Let's let's talk about the trade deals that were going on before Abraham in ancient America. Mm. You know, sure. Uh, archaeologically, the academic world will tell you that copper smelting began as an art in the Middle East around what is now Israel uh, about seven thousand fifty years ago. Well, that's pretty interesting. But at the other end of that stick, you have ice core data that says somebody was smelting copper somewhere mm -hmm. on the earth 7,550 years ago. So for 500 years, someone was already smelting copper. That's right. Remember, remember the part where you don't have to smelt copper from yeah. Upper Michigan? Right. But I also remember stories about alchemy, the alchemists, the wizards. Sure. And I also remember the stories that... Uh, that the 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 copper was necessary to make bronze. Absolutely, yeah. Was, bronze is nine tenths copper, right? And the Bronze Age was a continuation of this ability to you know work with metal, metallurgy in general. But we think of you know the copper and the tin, or the copper and the lead, or uh, you know whatever metal we're going to put into alloy copper. We also have to factor in. How much fuel does it take? What kind of fluxes do you need to do that smelting? Um, wh where is all the debris that's left over from that smelting exercise? Right. And, and by the way, where did they get all that copper? Because it wasn't in the old world. Where did they get it? What's your theory? They got it from Isle Royal and the Keweenaw Peninsula of Michigan. And, and possibly some from 
the middle or, you know, under the waters of Lake Superior. So are, is what we're seeing basically the reestablishment or the rediscovery of not only the past, but of lost technology, lost navigation? Yes. Uh, navigation, surveying, all mm-hmm. of the mathematically related you know, everyday arts, because they are an art, it's not just a science. You have to be capable of understanding what you're seeing, not just what you figure up. Um, as well as, as you mentioned, alchemy, which is an outgrowth or an, a companion art of metallurgy. So, yeah, take that into medicine and anything else. Those things were known. Many of those things were known mm-hmm. in better detail three or four or five or 10,000 years ago than they are now. So it's just like the batteries that are being found that are thousands of years old. It's just like the questions on how the pyramids and other monoliths of ancient times were built with such precision. Sure. Yeah, the mathematical stuff yeah. is you know, precise, sure. But let's, let's also look at the other arts that were important to make those possible. Writing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you may be able to understand the math, but unless you can write it down in a way that everybody understands what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so communication arts, whether they're verbal, written, or, you know, further, further afield. Because what I'm working on primarily right now is assessing and possibly proving that all these mounds that you find across North America were more than just a burial or a ritual place that they actually were there in part to convey messages across the continent in very near real time. And this brings in ley lines. It brings in uh, an, an entire aspect of history that people just cannot fathom that the technology of today may have been invented in the past and we have just reinvented it. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with our special guest, Rick Osmond. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365.
Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back, everyone. Rick Osman is our special guest. We're talking about ancient America. Um, based on the research you've done, what has been your most awe-inspiring moment? The moment when you say, you've got to be kidding. I didn't know this. This is something I have to share with the world. What was that? Well, you know, actually, it was fairly recent, and it could change. I could, you know, have an addendum after this sometime. But I was preparing to give a presentation in Illinois, and I was doing some research on Ogam writing. And I ended up 
somehow, you know, the cruising the internet thing ended up at uh, the Histories of Rome by Polybius, where he described how they used a code during the siege of Carthage to send messages by torchlight. And huh. <laughs> and uh, so they used an alphabetic substitution code, basically. Mm -hmm. And they used two different alphabets to confuse the enemy in case the enemy could actually pick it up. That's ingenious. It is pretty ingenious. And when you chart it out exactly the way Polybius did, you have the Ogum alphabet. We call it an alphabet, but it is not. It represents an alphabet, and it can represent just about any alphabet of up to about 30 characters. And and how long ago was that? Uh, 146 B.C. Talk about encryption. My oh, Lord. yeah, well, that's just the, that's just the top-level encryption. <laughs> you know, they would have had code books, too. We don't we don't talk about we talk about oh they conquered so and so well yeah that's because they wrote that history if they had written the entire history the way it had been done they would have been giving away all of their secrets you know well, their military secrets sure but isn't history written by the victors always yeah what do you think needs to be done in in your line of research in order to to get the, the truth, to get at the very bottom layer of what needs to be discovered? Uh, well, the lay researchers, including myself, have to get better at collecting and documenting evidence and leaving evidence in situ when that is what is appropriate because, oh, that's cool, let me pull it up out of the ground and destroy mm -hmm. all of the context of it. Even if you take a video while you're doing it, you have destroyed the context of that artifact. How do you, how do you figure? Archaeology requires that they understand or at least document everything about an object before they count that object as being real or relevant. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm not an archaeologist and I pull it up out of the ground, I'm a hoaxer. And sometimes if I am an archaeologist and it is an artifact they don't want to see in their catalog, that archaeologist is a hoaxer. This has been, you know, the game for, well, 145 years, give or take. But how would a video or a picture discredit the, the, the archaeological value of it? It doesn't discredit it, but it doesn't help either. The, the point is, if you don't let that archaeologist, or mm -hmm. you can't, con, can't convince that archaeologist to come and dig it out himself and document it by the book, quote-unquote, right. then they don't care what it is. And, oh, by the way, he's not going to come without pay. But wouldn't a museum or a historic foundation be more than willing to pay for this find, especially if someone, an amateur archaeologist like yourself, a researcher, was able to take a photograph, send it to these people without disturbing it, and say, this is what we have found. Yes, the without disturbing it is the yeah. important part. Right. So that, yeah, now that's a whole different scenario than pulling it up out of the ground oh, yeah. you video I, the action. I, I can understand pulling it out of the ground would totally screw things up for anyone, Um it's just like a crime scene. Yeah, leave everything it is very, there. Very, very much like a crime scene. Exactly. I, I, you know, we do. We, the amateurs, or at least uh, operating a few academics operating outside their regimen mm -hmm. doctrine, um, we do core samples. We do, uh, you know, leaf mold samples. We do tree rings. We do all these things, and we do our best to document every step because. We can never convince anybody to come out and do it themselves until we can raise enough eyebrows that, hey, there's evidence. And here's the test result. Yeah. As an example, I'm pretty sure that in, in your last 25 years, you interviewed Lloyd Pye. Oh, on definitely. Several definitely. occasions. He's a, you know, I miss him. Yeah, me too. You know, God rest his soul. But 
there's a guy who did his best to apply scientific method to an extremely controversial object. Star child. Yes. <laughs> and he pretty much got nowhere. Yeah. I think the problem with Lloyd was he started off with cryptoids and cryptozoology. Yep. And then midstream, and he was, he, he was getting, you know, he was doing very well when it came to the Bigfoot, uh, you know, uh, the Bigfoot research and tying in the royal Russian family into Bigfoot and, and the miners and so on. But when he got involved in Star Child, I think that it was too much of a switch for people to actually follow. Well, you know, the object is what we need to think about, not the guy who's bringing it to the forefront. But the credibility of the person bringing it for, into the forefront is also as important as the artifact. It is. And he did his best, once again, yeah. to, to recruit academics with the right credentials to help with that. And he got pretty much nowhere. And that is the scenario, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, yeah. for a lot of amateur or avocational archaeologists and a few professionals. Plus, I would imagine there's a financial strain on the amateurs as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm not getting rich on this. <laughs> Book sales are deplorable. <laughs> Speaking, but, about, speaking about your books, where are your books available? Um, well, Amazon has mm -hmm. both print and a Kindle. Right. Barnes & Noble has print and their Nook. Mm -hmm. And uh, also Smashword, Diesel, uh, I believe. I don't know if Sony Books has picked it up yet or not. But um, uh, several of them have. And also through the publisher, which is Grave Distractions Publications out of Nashville, Tennessee. And Ancient American Magazine has a few copies on hand most times. Right. Um, you can order it through Books a Million. Um, but, tell, but tell our audience the names of your books. The only book that I have, well, two editions of this book in print, okay. The Graves of the Golden Bear, Right. Ancient Fortresses and Monuments of the Ohio Valley. I'm also a contributor to a couple of Frank Joseph's works. Um, and I write... Well, pretty much every issue of Ancient American for the last three or four years. Excellent. So we're going to try and get as many people as we can to go and get copies of your books, my friend, because this is very interesting, and you certainly have presented a steadfast case tonight uh, in presenting your findings, your, your, your theories, and the evidence that has been collected so far to prove that, once again, the ancients were here in North America way before so many people would like us to believe. And they were a lot smarter than a lot of people would like us to believe. Yeah, they didn't have Hillary or Donald running around. True. Yeah. Um, what is your final thought for the Exxon Nation tonight, Rick? Be curious. That's all I ask. Just be curious. Why, then, are so many people like bicycle racks. They stick their heads in the ground, they put their butts up in the air, and they really don't give a rat's ass about anything. I'll blame that on football and disposable cigarette lighters. <laughs> oh, man, I love the way you think. <laughs> uh, football, I can understand, but the disposable lighters... We have become a disposing culture. That's true, we have. All right, I see the analogy here now. Okay. You know, not to mention a drive through culture, drive through uh, coffee shops, drive through laundry, drive through laundromats, drive through pharmacies, and now, believe it or not, even drive through funeral homes. Oh, yeah, that one's been around for a while. Drive in yeah. churches in California. But, you know, the, the drug dealers had drive through a long time ago that's true hey rick it's it's been a great hour with you thank you so much for sharing i wish you continued success thank you and we'll have to have you back on in the future because my friend i know you have so much more to share with the world i'll look forward to that Rob. take care of yourself rick and once again thank you very much for sharing your time with us bye-bye good night good night now exo nation rick osmond what a guy
disposable football and disposable lighters. I love it. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, you can always send an email to studio at exxonradiotv.com or to our general email address, 724-365, where someone will always answer it, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. We're right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network and on TalkStream Live. Don't go away. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 